Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is your number for it's the barrier to entry to converse on this show with us. Six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Feel free to give us a ring. I um if uh, I co-authored a book a couple years ago called uh, American Greatness, and if there's, I mean, it's all good, but. There's one chapter that I think is more pertinent now than almost any other, uh, or or if you only read one chapter, read the chapter on conservative Stockholm Syndrome. You guys know what Stockholm Syndrome is? You familiar with it a little bit? Yeah? David? Um, it's, uh, it's the notion where you start having gratification for and believing in your captors, you know, for those who are taken hostage. And I sometimes worry greatly when conservative commentators, analysts, or pol- political consultants and advisors, or just regular old Republican and Republican-inclined voters, you know, start believing what it is the mainstream media and the Democratic Party wants you to believe. And in a sense, they do hold so much of us hostage because they own so much of the culture and they own so much of news broadcast and they own so much of everything that uh, you, you, you might believe some days you are, you are held hostage culturally or politically by the left. I understand that. But don't, don't believe what your captors are telling you. Republicans need to do this. Republicans need to nominate this kind of person. Repub- Republicans need to give up on X, Y, or Z. And one of those things, we've been talking about it a few weeks now here and there, and it's going to be an increasingly bigger issue, larger and larger issue, is Republicans, and Brandon and I got into it a little yesterday, Republicans need to abandon or soften their position on life and abortion policy. And this notion concerns and worries me greatly for a lot of reasons, Um I believe it'll be a greater cost to the Republican Party if it does so than if it does not in the first instance, because so many of the dedicated uh, pro-life community have voted for the Republican Party precisely because of that issue. Um, So many of them, in fact, who were nervous about Donald Trump in 2015 and 2016 came on board once he started speaking about the kinds of judicial nominees he would appoint. And I could go on and on and on about how the pro-life movement really only has one party and the pro-life movement is a big and important movement. I could also go on to say that to abandon it would be to abandon the entire baseline of the Republican Party, which was founded as not only a pro-life party, but a pro-family and social values party. The very first Republican platform in 1856 not only republished the Declaration of Independence and the importance of life and liberty, but spoke of what it called the quote-unquote twin relics of barbarism. Pretty strong language. Barbarism. And those twin relics were slavery and polygamy. 
The twin relics of barbarism in 1856 to the Republican Party were slavery and polygamy. You cannot have family values if you have slavery or polygamy. And so today we're urged to abandon the thing that was so important to Ronald Reagan that he wrote a book about it while he was president of the United States. In 1984, he wrote a book called Abortion and the Conscience of a Nation. Pretty strong book, too. You can read it online. And uh, comparing the pro-choice arguments or pro-abortion arguments to the pro-slavery arguments. That's what Reagan did. And he won 49 states, need I remind you, in 1984. So pardon me a little bit if I raise a skeptical eye when I see Democrats and so much of the media saying you guys need to abandon it. Abandon one of the main planks and cohesions of our party that, when spoken about sincerely and seriously, was the recipe to not only so many victories under Ronald Reagan, but so many victories in getting Democrats to join the Republican Party. What do you think the Reagan Democrat was? What do you think they cared about? David Harsani in The Federalist takes this on. He writes, how many voters understand that the Democratic Party supports legalized abortion through all nine months of pregnancy on demand for virtually any reason? How many voters know this position aligns with only six other countries in the world, three of them not incidentally being North Korea, Vietnam, and China? Indeed, Democrats want to pass a federal law overturning the Democratic will of the states that ban sex-selective abortions or the dismembering of the post-viable unborn or require parental or guardian notification for minors before getting abortions. Democrats want to allow non-doctors to perform abortions, probably because it's not medical care, while at the same time stripping real medical workers of their conscience rights by compelling them to participate in the procedure or lose their jobs. Democrats want to eliminate the popular Hyde Amendment that stops the federal government from funding abortions with taxpayer dollars. They believe abortion is vital in ensuring that poorer Americans have fewer children. Now, maybe a majority of voters aren't aware of Democrats' maximalist positions because the Media endlessly lies and obfuscates them. And maybe pollsters rarely ask useful questions on the topic, offering absurdly vague queries like, do you support abortion access or should abortion be legal rather than should it be legal until the due date or for any reason or after the baby is viable or for sex selection? Because the answers are a lot more complicated than they'd like. And maybe after the shock of Roe being overturned, treated by Democrats as if it had been chiseled into magical stone tablets over the last 50 years, the energy and passion of the debate will temporarily reside on the pro-abortion side, and maybe if every voter knew all the facts, it still wouldn't matter. Abortion is a complex and emotional issue. None of that excuses the inability or aversion of national conservatives to make a coherent and compelling pro-life case. Sometimes it feels like Republicans are more terrified by the Dobbs decision than pro-abortionists. Even if pollsters were right about the unpopularity of abortion restrictions, there is this crazy thing that politicians occasionally engage in used to be called persuasion. Rather than just chasing around voters for approval, this entails convincing them with arguments. 
The problem, it seems, is that too many in the GOP accept the media's concern, trolling or listen to risk-adverse advice of the consultancy class. Take Wisconsin. On the same day Republicans took a supermajority in the legislature, Janet Protaskowitz beat conservative Dan Kelly by 10 percent point. 10 percentage points to flip the state Supreme Court. Virtually every outlet treated the race in which 36 percent of Wisconsin voters showed up as a national referendum on abortion. Anonymous consultants were recruited to offer off-the-record comments voicing their deep concern about the deleterious effects of the abortion issue. Quote, the drubbing Republicans took in Wisconsin revealed how harmful the issue of abortion is to the party, Politico explained. The Washington Post said Wisconsin Supreme Court election sends message on abortion rights. Weird how this dynamic only works in one direction. In 2020, Brian Kemp, who signed a heartbeat bill limiting abortion to the first six weeks a year earlier, easily defeated media darling Stacey Abrams. Remember how popular she was to win the Georgia governorship? Abrams made abortion along with guns the central issue of her campaign, carpet bombing the state with ads. In 2018, Terry McAuliffe also attempted to make abortion the dominant issue of his campaign against Glenn Youngkin. At the time, two of The Washington Post's most dedicated partisan flacks promised that the race was, quote, our first big test on the new politics of abortion. Well, Youngkin, who supports 15-week abortion limits like in the Dobbs decision, won. Alas, there were no four bylined, hand-wringing deep dives from the Post about abortion undermining the Democrats back then, were there? Got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Uh, thank you to David Dahl for just teaching me something. I'm embarrassed to tell you I did not know. Um, the Well, I knew who John C. Fremont was as the first nominee of the Republican Party in 1856. You know what I didn't know? I I can't believe I didn't know this. David Dahl, our new producer, uh, just taught me this. He was uh, later in life the governor of the Arizona Territory. Who knew that? Who knew that? Fantastic. Fantastic. Fred is in Fountain Hills. Hello, Fred. Hi, Seth. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. I just wanted to say how much I agree with what you're saying about the Stockholm Syndrome. And I see it time and time again. And I'm dumbfounded sometimes when I see that these conservative leaders, so-called leaders, seem to compromise and start to even agree with the left or the Democrats. And I believe, like you said, you have to draw a line in the sand. You have to stick to your guns and let the chips fall where they may. If people choose to go down that wrong path, then there's not much about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the most important, thank you, Fred, I think one of the most important parts of this op-ed that I was reading to you, this essay I was reading to you from David Harsanyi, was that we used to have something in political debate and dialogue called persuading people. Did we just surrender all that for the consultancy class? Is that is that what we've done here? We'll just listen to whatever a pollster tells us is important to do or say? Is that where we've come? I mean, what about 
And whatever happened to persuading people? Holding their hand through a line of argument and reasoning. I'm with you on that, Fred. Thank you. I appreciate it. Anything else? You good? Well, I, I just want to say, I think part of the problem with this is that it seems like so many times the arguments end with the Democrats getting the upper hand. And and just like this thing with Fox News, and they they, they chose to settle this $1.6 billion lawsuit for almost half of what they were going to be sued for, it leaves you to wonder, I mean, just so many times, it, no justice seems to be done, and you wonder what the truth really is. I mean, just like with the the voting, uh, you know, people investigated all the voting in here in Arizona and with the federal, you know, the, the presidential elections nationally, and, and there's they seem to be getting away with everything, so you you left to wonder what's going on. Yeah, I, I understand. You have to do your own research. That's what it's. That's what's going on. Um, if something sounds too good or too bad to be true, you got to look into it on your own. My first, my first operating notion is obsta principis, uh, Latin for beware of first thoughts, uh, especially when something is too good or too bad to sound true. You got to do your own research. Um, you, you just got to these days. You can't take anyone's word for anything. Um, if you hear something that just doesn't sound right to you, you know, trust your instincts a little bit. Um, you know, and, and just because you hear something from someone or somewhere, or just because you read something on Facebook or Twitter, I mean, you know that you can't. You just can't trust anyone and everyone. Um, maybe it's too cynical to say you can't trust anyone, but you can't trust everyone. And, you know, I just, I was, I, I remember once I was in a, gonna, about to interview a guest on my show once who made it, and I'm trying to remember what the claim was. It, it had something to do with Barack Obama. He was president at the time. And I said, Really? Where'd you get that from? And she said, I just read it on Facebook. I said, not going to interview you. I, I, we need to do better than that. Just because you... And now we've come to learn in the other direction that, you know, if you get most of your news through social media, or at least if you did for years, you were getting the news the FBI wanted you to get. Think on that for a moment. Just ponder on that for a moment. You were getting the news that the U.S. government thought was deemed worthy of being news for you. I mean, this is where we've come to. And I'm not going to ask for any special exception on this either. If you hear something I say call me that doesn't sound right to you, call me and challenge me on it or check it out yourselves. I've had to do a few corrections here from time to time. Not too many, but a few had to do one because David Dahl <laughs> corrected me on a piece of history. I guess two now. And, um, and you know, I look, you say 85,000 words a week. You're going you're gonna to get one or two of them wrong probably, but we do our best. We do our best. Um, and we tell you where we're coming from. Let me give you a little more from David Harsani on abortion. 
Georgia and Virginia are swing states. Swing states. Ohio, where Mike DeWine signed a six-week ban in 2019 and won the state by 10 points in 22, was one not long ago as well. The same state in which pro-life J.D. Vance easily beat moderate Tim Ryan, but Ohio and Virginia teach nothing about abortion, evidently, right? Only the Wisconsin Supreme Court race matters, a race that no one was focused on on our side, a race that you would have never heard about otherwise. This week, Governor of Florida... Ron DeSantis signed a six-week ban on abortion. One imagines DeSantis will be just as popular among Republicans in his state since the bill passed overwhelmingly in the Florida Assembly. Of course, conventional wisdom says this hurts his chances as a presidential candidate. But every GOP president since Reagan has taken a pro-life position. Even in a post-Dobbs world, the idea that abortion is going to be the determinative factor in the presidential race is likely wishful thinking. Now that Roe has been overturned, the president has even less to say over the future of abortion. Abortion has become a state issue, and that's what irks the Dems. I think it's worth asking, if Donald Trump were the nominee and he abandoned the pro-life position and said, I've had a change of heart, I am pro-choice, do you think a single Democrat would vote for him? Do you think these vaunted educated suburban women would give their vote to him. Do the moral thing, do the right thing. Bring people along, and that's what a leader is. As Churchill said, it's awfully hard to look up to someone when their ear is to the ground. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to welcome to the show Michelle Tafoya. Many of you have known her for decades as a uh, sports reporter uh, covering the NBA, the NFL, Olympics, so much else. She is now host of her own wonderful podcast at the Salem Podcast Network, SalemPodcastNetwork.com, Sideline Sanity with Michelle Tafoya, where she brings a lot of the sanity you got used to her with in sports to so many other issues. Michelle Tafoya, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Taking you a little bit back to some of the sports coverage that you've done uh, in the past and now kind of bringing it into the culture and the cultural fights we seem to all be in, there's this just odd darn thing, this uh, law that is being proposed in Congress right now to protect women in sports. The act is known as the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, I think properly named. Uh, Joe Biden and the White House and some even female athletes who had been claiming and arguing for equity and equality in women's sports, like Megan Rapinoe, they're they're against it. Um, Tell us about this act and why they're wrong and you and I are right. Well, they are wrong uh, to suggest that I think the overarching view is here that if you don't allow trans athletes to compete, and really we're, we're only talking about male to female trans, right. trans women. We're not talking about the other direction here of female to men. Um, that if you don't accept them and allow them to compete, then you are transphobic, which is really... Not the argument here at all. What proponents of this act like to see is women's sports maintained the way it has been. What Joe Biden recently said, we worked so, so hard for this Title IX protection of women and girls in sports, that they would have their own arena, if you will, their own 
environment in which to compete against other women and girls. And to suggest that trans women are real women and that they can compete on the same level is just not not true. And it's, it's so nonsensical. And I think that really there are a lot of scare tactics being used to try to back people down from their opinion that Wait a minute! This is this isn't fair. It's because it's not fair. We saw it with Leah Thomas in the NCAA swimming championships, winning a, a top spot in a, in a in a particular event, and really dominating, going from being in the four to five hundredth position nationally among men in college to winning an event on the women's side. And you have to ask yourself: really, are, are we honestly willing to say that? Hormone therapy for a year or two, bringing levels down of, of, of testosterone or whatever they're requiring, actually is going to make this an equal playing field. It's not. You're born with different. You're born with different, um, you know, chromosomes, men, men and women, and you develop and grow differently. So, this is not a question of transphobia. This is not a question of hate, as people want to call it. This is a question of being fair to women who have pre- prepared their whole lives for sometimes a 10-second sprint, uh, you know, a 60-second race. That's a good point. Um, just all of these, they prepared their whole life for that, and 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 to have that taken away because uh, a male decided he wanted to compete as a female, it's just, it's just wrong, and I think we can all see it, but for some reason people aren't speaking up enough about it. Well, I'm glad you are and you're joining this. And you, I think, put your finger on an interesting element of this. When they argue that they can compete on the same level, the point you made, it's obvious, but I guess no one has thought, not enough people have thought about it enough. What Then how come we don't see female to men? How come we don't see females wanting to transgender, uh, uh, go through a transgender process or claim to compete <laughs> against men? That kind of gives lie to everything they're talking about. I think you put your finger on it right there. Well, it's it's uh, I think we've seen one rare instance where a girl uh, had a double mastectomy and decided she wanted to compete on a boys swim team and she didn't care how poorly she did and yeah. she consistently comes in last. She just wanted to be part of that team. That's, yeah, it's a different. It, that's, yeah, it, it's a different thing. Yeah. but here's the thing: if if women wanted to be able to compete against biological men, women would be required in order to get to try to level that playing field to take testosterone. That's well, right. that's illegal. There that's you go. Yeah. and so if this is not a level playing field. I can't imagine why people can be so. Uh, that this escapes so many people. Yeah, well, it's it's that power of ideology. This was a short segment. Let me take a quick commercial break, Michelle, and we'll come back uh, and talk just a little bit more about it, if we can. Michelle Tafoya is our guest, host of her own great podcast, Sideline Sanity. She takes on everything from, oh my gosh, so many topics, uh, education to reparations. Michelle Tafoya and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Michelle Tafoya with us. She is the host of her own podcast, great and interesting and intellectually deep, Sideline Sanity with Michelle Tafoya. You can get it at SalemPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get your favorite uh, podcasting. And we're talking about this odd piece of legislation. I say odd because who would have ever thought something like this would have been necessary, the protection of women and girls in sports 
act. Michelle, on that point, you know, you're a veteran uh, sports reporter. Do, three years ago, would you even have ever thought something like this necessary? I mean, this came fast and it came hard, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I, I will say, I remember hearing just the beginnings of this sort of trend of boys wanting to compete against girls yeah. um, several years ago. But it, we all thought it was kind of anecdotal, random here and there. Now we're talking about a congressional act. Yeah. You know, we're talking about um, really having to get on the national stage and, and try to convince people that this is right. ridiculous, which is, that's the astonishing part to me. And, uh, you know, like you, I think you used the word ideology. Yeah. And you're correct. Yeah. And, and we're going to, you know, it's, it's just astonishing for me to believe that. I've got a daughter. I played sports growing up. My sisters and I did. So did my brother. My, I've got a daughter and a son. And if my daughter lost her spot on a soccer team to uh, a biological male who was transitioning, I, I don't know what I would do. Right. You right. know, to, for her to lose that opportunity. Right. And people were saying, oh, it's not going to get to that. Well, look at where we are. They always say that, and we always get yeah. to that. And that that's yeah. another kind of odd aspect of this. You've obviously entered the fray on this, Michelle. So you've been talking and probably taking some incoming, as everyone does who does weigh in on this. But there is – tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, I think – yes, it's now going to be an attempted act in Congress, surprisingly enough, to protect women's sports and to keep men from competing in women's sports. And it won't pass. It's not going to pass. And that's kind of the interesting thing here, isn't it? Because I think even the people who will vote against it, I think they agree with us. I think yeah. they know that there's something fundamentally unfair about this. I think they're operating in an emperor with no clothes kind of situation. That's my sense. I wonder if that's the sense you have. They know this is wrong, but they have to kind of go along with the tide of this cultural avant-garde push anyway. That's my sense. You tell me if I'm right or wrong on that. Well, uh, you know, every day I end my podcast by saying be brave good. and do good. And good. the bravery and the courage that is lacking in this country is so evident. And it will be the demise of us if we don't get it together here and and have rational minds stick together and speak out against this stuff. The, yeah, if, if anyone's voting against this, and it's a pretty benign, I mean, it, it, I think this act even allows for transgender women, meaning male to female, right. uh, competing on a team as long as no one else loses a scholarship or a spot and they can practice with the team. They can sort of compete uh, in, in, in a friendly manner. But I, I think that that is part of this. And, and I, I so, so in other words, it's not transphobic. It's, it's not saying, yeah. you know, you can't get in the pool or you can't do whatever. It, it's just, it's going to take, and I, I've heard a number of prominent voices say this, it's going to take something like major. Like, yeah. okay, uh, do we see a transgender woman compete at Wimbledon? And right beat one of the biggest stars, right. you know, something like that. Uh, do we see the WNBA? Do we see male players transition into women and, and decide they want to play in the WNBA and start just dominating? I mean, what is it going to take? I, I, I'm, I'm, again, so astonished because you had Jill Biden go to the NCAA Final Four and say, this is so great. We've worked so hard for this. We see how great these female athletes are. 
and now we're we're having to protect them. Yeah, was- I'm astonished too, and I'm astonished that people for like Megan Rapinoe, who for the past uh, five six years or so have been talking about giving women's sports the same due that has been given to yeah. men's sports. It's effectively throwing in the towel, if, if, if you'll let me bring in yet another. Maybe it'll yeah. be boxing. Maybe it'll be female boxing. You know, <laughs> maybe that's something that big. But when we have been trained, conditioned, and and uh, I think caught up on the idea of the integrity of female sports through the work of people who have been pushing Title IX and through the, through the arguments that people like Megan Rapinoe have been making, it's an odd thing to say, never mind. Never mind, yeah. isn't it? it? It really, it really is odd. I, I now, obviously, now people may or may not know Megan Rapino is gay, and yeah. Sue Bird, who is another outspoken right. opponent, right. is gay. Right? Uh, uh, maybe they feel they need to protect yeah. the whole yeah. LGBTQ, you know, that's community. That's gotta be it. That's gotta I, be. That's it. the only thing I can think of. But the, both of them have benefited yep. greatly in their lives yep. by being in a protected class in women's sports, yep. and to. To turn their back on it, I, I just don't get it. Yeah, and if a guy who uh, thought he was a girl wanted to compete in women's soccer, I'm sure that the message would be a little bit different. I'm, I'm sure it would be. I'm, I, or at least they, it would be quiet. At least there might be silence on it. It's easy to argue and talk about these things when you no longer have that that kind of skin in the game or when it's not up against you. The other thing that's last last thing I'll, I'll, I'll keep you uh, on on. Uh, for and thank you for being generous with your time and and brain yeah. michelle the i'm used to it and you now are getting into it with your your wonderful new podcast we're used to arguing a lot of different public policy the pushback on this i mean someone like riley Gaines mm-hmm. getting the kind of attack false imprisonment assault and battery yeah. on college campuses Almost like no other speaker on any other issue. That's a surprising element of this too. The ardency of it isn't, isn't it? It, it is. It is. It's uh, and and that's a specific campus. We should point out it was yep. UC San Francisco, right? And we, we know the political leanings sure. in the in the Bay Area. I sure. went to Berkeley. So <laughs> yes, so that's right. Well. You're, I forgot. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, um, but I commend her for her bravery. I love Riley. We we have been in touch about this and. I just wish more people would join her in that. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it's, yeah, the, the boldness, the brazenness, the violent approach to protest is, and, and the fact that the universities allow that. Right. This, it, it's, again, I, the word astonishing keeps coming up because, you know, I think every day I wake up and I go, are we normal yet? Are right. we sane again? Right. Have we gotten there? Right. And the answer keeps coming back it's now. more and more elusive yeah we're not only talking about the end of uh female sports and athletics we're talking about the end of education too if this keeps exactly. going exactly yeah right well you uh you are just fantastic uh michelle tafoya thank you i love your podcast i am a devoted fan of it and uh, i may call you back on some of these other issues you tackle as well if you're willing to come back on i'd love to have i, I would you. love to the pleasure was mine thank you so much thank you michelle tafoya really appreciate it the um the uh, old uh, jurist Oliver Wendell Holmes said that uh, the means to success is effort. And uh, it's also, as Michelle Tafoya said, courage. It shouldn't take courage in this day and age to stand up for women's rights and true women's equality. It just shouldn't. But as uh, as that, as is said in uh, Man for All Seasons, I, I show you the times. Support people like Michelle Tafoya, too. Check out her podcast, Sideline Sanity with Michelle. Michelle Tafoya. I know you'll love it. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be back with a final word.
with all the uh, vagaries in our economy, when thinking about stock market or the Fed, our friends at Y Refi give you the opportunity to invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to either the stock market or the Fed. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. This is a secure collateralized portfolio, no fees, and it delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Why Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there several times, and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com, or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34, 888-Y-REFI-34. David, thank you uh, on your maiden voyage as the new uh, producer to this show. Did a great job. Glad to have you here. Looking forward to many, many, many returns starting tomorrow. Thank you all in the audience. I'll just... um, I'll just say this about what I was talking about with Michelle Tafoya. Many of you have heard me quote Hannah Arendt, the political philosopher, as saying there is nothing so strong as ideology. Think of just how strong it is, because I think I'm right. I think even people who will be voting against this act to protect women, this act, a vote against which would be supporting the transgender, the radical transgender rights movement here, I think they know there's something wrong here. I think they know there's something not right here. I think they know deep down, if not even less than deep down, even if it's a sh- perhaps even shallowly, I think they know that Leah Thomas and Riley Gaines is not equitable, it's not equality, and it's not equity. I think they know that. But the ideology is so blind and the push – from the LGBTQ plus political movement is so strong that you can't say it. There was a congresswoman who was on with Piers Morgan and Bill Maher last Sunday, and they were getting into this. And Piers Morgan ate this congresswoman's lunch. You know why? Because this congresswoman couldn't defend the position of men competing against people like Riley Gaines. This is someone who will be running for Senate to replace Dianne Feinstein, and she couldn't make the argument. She just didn't even try when Piers Morgan asked her to give it a shot. She didn't even try because the argument doesn't exist. It doesn't exist if you understand not just nature, not just male-female, not just right and wrong, but things you learned when you were four and five and six years old. It's that basic. And we're throwing in the towel on not just common sense, but the basics. Well, not here and not you. So thank you for being with us and thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Until tomorrow, I am Seth. God bless you all. Class is dismissed.